You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news. And I discuss plans for a new terminal in Northern Colorado Regional Airport. After that, Eliza Droder will update us on CSU's athletics. And then you'll be hearing a conversation between Ivy and Ben Schrader, the new director of CSU's Adult Learners and Veteran Services, about his vision for the ALVS. Then, Coda tells us about reduced restrictions for vaccinated tourists coming into the U.S., and we hear from the International Local Music Exchange podcast about the best local music with our partner stations. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and speaking to Noel Mason from the Collegian about air quality. Coda explains updates on the Elizabeth Holmes trial and how Apple removed an opposition party app during the Russian election. To conclude the show, I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, it's Ellie Shannon with KCSU and you're listening to your weekly newscasts. It's our fifth week of classes at Colorado State University and the semester is still going strong. Last week, white supremacists put up posters that were extremely offensive and harmful to our minority communities at CSU. These posters were taken down and reported to the Ethnic Studies Department. According to Noah Pasley of the Collegian, the Ethnic Studies Department shared a statement saying, quote, These posters are a form of violence against historically racialized and marginalized people, as well as a direct affront to the clearly stated and repeated campus goals of diversity, inclusion, and equitable community. President Joyce McConnell also sent out an email stating, This harmful rhetoric goes against our principles of community and we condemn it wholeheartedly. Even when hateful speech is legally protected, I urge everyone at CSU to use their First Amendment rights to counter speech that diminishes any member of our community, end quote. The CSU Spur campus buildings have been developing over the last couple of years, and the final beam for their hydro building was laid on September 16th. This is a huge milestone for the Spur campus, as this is the final building to be built out of the three that were planned. The Vita building will be opening in January of 2022 with the focus on health. The Terra building that focuses on food will be opening in April of 2022. And lastly, the Hydro building will be opening in November of 2022 and has a focus on water. To learn more about these buildings, check out csuspur.org. The CSU volleyball team will be taking on Boise State this upcoming Thursday at 7 p.m. The game will be held at Moby Arena, and tickets are available at csurams.com. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m., and always tune in to KCSU. Thanks for listening. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local news for today on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Northern Colorado Regional Airport released plans for a new terminal, which would open by mid-2024. According to Pat Ferrier at the Coloradoan, the current Northern Colorado Airport Terminal has been operating from a temporary facility for 17 years and has been looking to expand. Now, thanks to Federal CARES Act money, plans for completed construction have accelerated their expected due date. On Thursday, the Airport Advisory Commission, made up of representatives from the cities of Loveland and Fort Collins, which own the airport, got a look at preliminary terminal designs from Fort Collins Architects VFLA. 
airport officials hope a new terminal will make the airport more functional and attractive for additional regularly scheduled commercial air service, as well as regional events such as car shows and air shows. For now, the existing terminal would remain alongside the new terminal, but would be abandoned in case of a second expansion. The advisory commission made no decisions on Thursday last week. The airport plans to use more than $19 million in federal dollars, including $17 million from the Federal CARES Act, approved as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. At present, the project is about $2 million short of its preliminary budget, money the cities might be asked to pay into the project. The Hughes Land Back Initiative held a press conference September 18th condemning the destruction of a sweat lodge constructed on the Hughes open land. According to Austria Cohn at the Collegian, the persons responsible for deconstructing the sweat lodge, which had been constructed July 24th, are currently unknown. A sweat lodge is a place for native people to practice their sp- spiritual beliefs. The gathering and press conference held by Hughes Landback Initiative was held at the Twin Cottonwoods located on Hughes Land, where two spokesmen condemned the deconstruction, calling on those responsible to take accountability. David Young, an Apache tribe of Colorado with the Genzaro Affiliated Nations spokesperson, spoke at the gathering, saying, quote, Our fires have been put out and our drums have been silenced. This is just not okay. This is not a surprise to the Native community, but it is still an insult. It is a level of disregard and disrespect for those of us who have always been. End quote. Hughes Land Back Initiative seeks to have the land returned to the Native people whose ancestors previously owned the land, in order to use the land so they can freely worship and practice their culture. In a letter delivered earlier this month, the CSU's Board of Governors and Governor Jared Polis Members of the Hughes Landback Initiative say the land was illegally given to CSU in 1957 under the Land Grant designation. The American Indian Religious Freedom Act protects the rights of Native Americans to exercise their religious beliefs and ensure access to sites as well as the ability to use and possess sacred objects. The Native American Graves Protection and Reparation Act also protects cultural items. It states that, quote, federal agencies must follow a process for Native American human remains or cultural items removed from or discovered on federal or tribal lands, end quote, according to the National Park Service. On August 20th, Colorado State University, the city of Fort Collins, and a third party, Cottonwood Lands and Farms, came to an understanding that CSU will sell the former Hughes Stadium land to the city for $12.5 million. In the agreement, CSU agreed to sell the land in exchange for 24 acres so they would be able to build a faculty and student housing. For more information on future gatherings and press conferences, you can visit the Hughes Landback webpage at HughesLandback.com. Residents and businesses in Masonville and South Horsetooth Reservoir area are under a voluntary evacuation order as fire crews fight a wildfire in the area. According to Sarah Kyle at the Coloradoan, the fire is in the Stag Hollow Road area off Glade Road. The voluntary evacuation order includes Glade Road east to Rimrock Valley Lane in West Larimer County Road, 28E South to Muley Park Road, according to Emergency Alert. Loveland Fire Rescue Authority responded to the fire, which is southwest of Fort Collins, earlier Monday. Pooter Fighter Authority is assisting, according to a tweet from the agency. Residents are asked to not call 911 to report the fire. Fort Collins Police noted in a tweet, adding that Loveland Fire Rescue Authority is, quote, aware in addressing the vegetation fire, end quote. Estimates of the fire's size has not been released as of noon Monday. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is all the local news you have for today. We'll be right back. 
The Poudre River Library District is a learning organization dedicated to providing open and equal access to intellectual freedom for the Larimer County community. At any of the three library locations, CSU students can use their RAM cards as library cards to stream movies and TV shows, access research databases, and check out books and equipment. Learn more at poudrelibraries.org or by visiting one of the three public library locations. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. In the last CSU football game, the Rams won against the Toledo Rockets 22-6, our rushing leaders being David Bailey with 30 attempts for 134 yards and an average of 4.4 yards per carry. Quarterback Todd Sentio also had quite a few rushing yards, 63 rushing yards in 12 attempts. Our top receiver, Trey McBride, with 9 receptions for 109 yards, got 90% of the positive yardage passes, and Dante Wright getting the only other positive yardage reception for four yards. A lot of heavy defensive stats for this week. The team had six sacks for for 42-yard loss. Mohamed Kamara with three and a half tackles for loss, nine yards lost in 3.5 tackles, which is a season high, for the Rams, and 2.5 sacks for 17-yard loss, both of these being career-high stats for Kamara. Daquan Jackson getting 13 tackles and 2 tackles for 6-yard loss. Quarterback Todd Sentio threw for 110 yards and was 11 for 27 in passes, was not sacked once, and had zero interceptions. The true stars of the game being Caden Camper, 5-for-5 five five on field goals, and the big play of the game being the 70-yard punt return for a touchdown. The next game will be against Iowa this Saturday. In women's soccer, the last game, they went 6-0 and at home against Idaho State, with Kristen Noonan getting three goals for a hat trick. Caitlin Abram scoring the first goal. Liv Layton scoring the second and Gracie Armstrong scoring two goals. The next match will be at home against San Diego State on Friday at 4. Women's volleyball news, they lost their two games against CU. One set to three in Boulder on Thursday and was swept at home on Saturday. Their next match will be Thursday against Boise State at Moby Arena at 7 p.m. In cross country, last Friday was the Road Runner Open in Denver. In the women's division, CSU finished second, and in the men's division, they finished third. Their next event is Friday for the Bell Dellinger Invitational in Oregon.
In women's golf, the team placed 16th in the branch law firm Dick McGuire Invitational. And in women's tennis news, their season will begin on Thursday at the Bedford Cup against Air Force in Colorado Springs. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csuram.evenue.net for for tickets to all sports events, including football, volleyball, soccer, and more. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this has been your RMR Sports Report. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. You're currently listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins, the home of student-run radio in northern Colorado. My name is Matt Gusmarotti, and I'm the current podcast director here at KCSU. Join with me today is our current local music director, Maddie Erskine. Maddie, myself, and countless other radio stations are excited to bring to you today the best of the International Local Music Exchange and some of our favorite highlights. The International Local Music Exchange is a weekly radio show style podcast where radio stations from around the world can submit an episode only playing and highlighting the local music from that area. The ILME was founded by the College Radio Foundation as well as KCSU, WLOY in Baltimore, Maryland, and KBVR in Corvallis, Oregon. Also, I'd like to shout out KCSU's current station manager, Asher Korn, for putting together and creating the artwork for the podcast exchange. Didn't she do a great job? So far this year, we've received episodes from stations from around the United States, including WUSC in South Carolina, WGMU in Northern Virginia, and many others. But today, Maddie and I will be highlighting the highlights. We'll bring and show you some of our favorite songs and bands that have participated in the exchange so far and let you know what is to come for the exchange in the future. So, Maddie, you produced and you made the KCSU episode for the exchange. Could you tell me what that process looked like and how you navigated your way through it? How did you find the bands or maybe did they reach out to you even? The process was a lot harder than I thought it would be, mainly because it was nearly impossible to narrow it down to only 10 songs. Northern Colorado has so much amazing local music and a wide variety of genres, scene, and just so many incredible people in the industry. It was no difficulty at all, like, finding the bands, and all of them responded with just a ton of enthusiasm, especially since it's been a huge struggle for them not being able to play shows or tour. And one of the reasons I really love working at KCSU as the local music director is because of this connection we have with all the local bands, and I've gotten to know many of the artists through in studios, even though most of them have been virtual this semester. For this edition of The Exchange, however, we were accepting highlight submissions from stations that have already entered in an episode. Unfortunately, we only have had one highlight submission, but that submission came from WLOY, one of the founding members of The Exchange. Coming up shortly, you're going to hear from the current general manager at WLOY, Mackenzie Britt. Hi, my name is Mackenzie, and I am the general manager of WLOY Loyola Radio in Baltimore, Maryland. The International Local Music Exchange is a really cool way to connect to radio stations around the world, listen to their local music, and share our own local music with them. The great thing about going to school in Baltimore is that there's so many great local bands. It was really hard to choose just a few as a highlight. First up, we have the Pocket Bells, which is a band local to Baltimore since 2016 with their single, Two Stop Train. Among the stars, but how do I prove it? We could be so much bigger, 
When do I risk it? I can feel you come around I can feel your gravity You just heard Two Stop Train by the Pocket Bells. Up next, we have Chlorine by Osmo, a band from Baltimore that moved from Michigan in 2018. Fun fact about Osmo, Osmo was the name of a betta fish that belonged to Ross Lockhart, who was the guitarist and singer-songwriter, which then became the name of the band. Osmo's sound is influenced by a wide range of bands, including Rites of Spring, Unwound, Dinosaur Jr., Descendants, and the Minutemen, just to name a few. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for Chlorine by Osmo.
I'm Maddie Erskine, local music director at KCSU Fort Collins. Colorado is full of a variety of local music that I'm excited to share with you today. My favorite part about our music scene is how welcoming and inviting the community is. It's heartwarming how thankful every band was when I contacted them about featuring their music in this podcast. Since bands currently can't tour, it's great to have a chance to share their music with listeners like you. Next up is Queen Elizabeth's Corgi by Robert Shredford, a surf rock band from right here in the coastless state of Colorado. <laughs> this female-fronted Fort Collins band will get you dancing in no time with their poppy guitar chords and catchy lyrics. The International Local Music Exchange is very important to these local bands, now more than ever as Maddie had stated before. The bands that were featured on KBVR's episode in Corvallis, Oregon are feeling the same repercussions and ramifications of this virus that the local bands in WRFL in Lexington, Kentucky are experiencing. We'd like to send a huge shout out and thank you to the stations that have participated in the exchange as this would have not been possible without them all. We are also super excited to announce that there will be another local music exchange next semester. To further expand this project, KCSU is reaching out to local music lovers all over the world to create their own episodes featuring their favorite songs from their community. If you consider yourself a local music expert and are invested in your music scene, we would love to have you participate. You can shoot me an email at local at kcsufm.com. We would love to help you share your town's best musicians with the rest of the world. 
To find the full International Local Music Exchange podcast episodes and more special anecdotes from college DJs from around the country, you can go to kcsufm.com slash podcasts or listen on Apple Podcasts by typing in the name. Thanks for listening. from Slayer, you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News for September 21st on the Rocky Mountain Review. The United States is easing restrictions on vaccinated foreign tourists and workers wishing to visit the United States. According to Brian Naylor at National Public Radio, these travelers will be able to enter the U.S. as long as they have proof of vaccination starting in November. Vaccinated travelers from outside the U.S. will still be required to submit a negative COVID-19 test within three days of their flight. Travel bans on China, India, and parts of Europe were in place by by the Trump administration previously and are being replaced by these restrictions in November. Biden's COVID-19 response coordinator, Jeffrey Zients, announced the policy Monday, and the COVID-19 travel bans previously that were in place previously were in place for over a year. This new policy would allow foreign family members to begin visiting U.S. citizens, which many have been unable to do during the travel bans. The Biden administration reportedly plans to work with airlines the next few weeks to create a plan for implementing these restrictions. Travelers will be expected to provide contact information for contact tracing. These rules do not apply to ground travel between Canada and Mexico. In an interview with the Associated Press, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned the U.S. and China to avoid another Cold War and repair their relationship. As the two economically powerful countries continue to have confrontations over human rights, economics, security, and sovereignty, Guterres said that the important issues like working together towards COVID-19 vaccination and remedying climate change's effects are being pushed to the side. In 2019, he warned leaders about the risk of U.S. and China's rivalry splitting the world in two with rivaling trade, internets, and more. Guterres said, quote, We need to avoid at all cost a Cold War that would be different from the past one and probably more dangerous and diff- more difficult to manage. End quote. Guterres is especially concerned as many African countries have less than 2% of their populations vaccinated, while European nations like Portugal, where he's from, report around 80% of the population to be vaccinated. Guterres is especially concerned about how the divide between U.S. and China could cause global security issues, especially as the world is needed to come together for COVID-19 and climate change solutions. After the destruction caused by Hurricane Ida and Tropical Storm Nicholas, hurricane season surges with two additional tropical storms in the Atlantic. According to Doyle Rice from the USA Today, 
Tropical Storm Peter threatens Puerto Rico and other U.S. territories with flooding in urban regions until Tuesday, along with life-threatening surfing conditions on beaches. Peter is not expected to exceed the conditions of a minor tropical storm, but may approach Bermuda this weekend. Tropical Storm Rose formed Sunday, and at the present moment is not threatening lands. It's around 620 miles west, northwest, of the Cabo Verde Islands, and is expected to weaken into a depression by around halfway through this week, according to forecasters. The National Hurricane Center is monitoring these storms, as well as as what's left of Tropical Storm Odette near Newfoundland, Canada. This December, the the Supreme Court will hear a case related to a Mississippi abortion law. According to Ariane DeVogue at CNN, justices will be asked whether or not to overturn Roe v. Wade. The Mississippi law, the Gestational Age Act, was passed in 2018, and two federal courts blocked it before it was announced to be heard by the Supreme Court. The law prohibits abortion after 15 weeks, except in medical emergencies or in cases that are referred to as cases of severe fetal abnormality. It has no exceptions listed for incest or rape. The Center for Reproductive Health represents Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the only licensed abortion facility in Mississippi in the case. Supreme Court justice is debated taking on the new case for months, only now deciding to hear it. Three of the justices were appointed by, were appointed by former President Donald Trump, bringing the court to a conservative majority ahead of the hearing. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Today, I am joined by Dr. Ben Schrader, the new Director of Adult Learners and Veterans Services at Colorado State University, here to talk with us about his plans as Director for ALVS. Dr. Schrader, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So first off, would you be able to tell us a bit about what work you've done prior to becoming Director and how you got into this line of work? Sure. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but we'll see see uh, if I can condense it. <laughs> um, so I am a CSU under or C, CSU alum. I came here to CSU f- uh, after my time in the military. Uh, I was in the military from 01 to 05, and I came to CSU at, to study both sociology and political science. Uh, while I was here, I got super involved across campus in a number of different areas, everything from uh, different social justice work to uh, student government. Um, While I was here, I then ended up getting a master's in ethnic studies here at CSU. And then I went on to go get a PhD from uh, the University of Hawaii in political science. After that, I ended up coming back here to CSU and I was teaching in both uh, ethnic studies and political science. And then I ended up getting a postdoc in uh, Budapest, Hungary at Central European University to look at uh, narrative politics. Um, I then went on to uh, Bard College and did a program there, a visiting professorship, where at that time uh, I was working on putting my book out and it came out in uh, 2019. Uh, it's called Fight to Live, Live to Fight, Veteran Activism After War. Um, and then after leaving Bard College, I uh, did a research pro- project with the University of Dayton, where I went to Vietnam and I followed a bunch of U.S. veterans who were returning to do reparations projects and service projects across Vietnam. Vietnam. Uh, then I returned back to CSU 
Um, and I did some advising work for a few months uh, before I got this position here in Adult Learner and Veteran Services. So in many ways, this is uh, kind of a dream job to, to be here in this space, uh, advocating and working for and with adult learners and veterans. What drew you to the position? Um, I think that one of the things was also being here at CSU, right? That first and foremost, I, I love Fort Collins. I love CSU. Uh, this is a great university. Um, they do a lot of great work and being an advocate for both adult learners and veterans. Um, you know, I myself am a veteran. A lot of my advocacy work has been around veterans over the years. Um, and then also, you know, I grew up, my, my mother was an adult learner, a single mother. I lived with her on, on, on the campus, uh, in the dorms. I was a kid for a year living in, in a, uh, dorm, uh, in the mail room, which was kind of funny. And, uh, so, you know, I have a passion for both these identities. Um, so being able to, to help students was, you know, a top priority. Do you have any guiding principles for how do you intend to direct the LVS? Um, you know, I, I would say that some of the principles that, you know, I hold really stem from uh, a diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice model. Um, I really believe in trying to make the space that we have here as inclusive as possible so that uh, students feel welcome to come in and use our office and and succeed here in college. The other big model that that we really try to add um, to our office is a value add mo model. So uh, one of the things that you know when when we think about veterans, a lot of times they are often characterized and labeled as damaged, broken, have PTSD. Right. These are these are common themes uh, when talking about and working with veterans. Uh, we like to flip that on its head. Right. Yes, there are those things. However, uh, veterans and adult learners are coming into this space, coming into the university with a lot to, to add to the university. And so we really try to focus on those skills to uh, center our, our work. What are some goals you have as director? I mean, first and foremost is to continue some of the great programs that we've had here for, for a while, whether it be our Elevate program, which is a summer bridge program, our peer mentor program. Uh, we have the Ram Kids Village, which is an uh, opportunity for adult learners and parents, like student parents, to bring their kid on campus to the library and, and you know, it's kind of like a, a daycare of sorts, uh, but they have to stay in the building and, and it allows the, the parents to, uh, you know, study in the library. Uh, our tutoring program, right? So continuing all these great programs is very important to me. Uh, but then also, you know, figuring out what is going to help our students succeed the most. Um, I think over... There used to be here on campus the, a veteran success team. I would really love to bring this back and also add in this concept of adult learners to that, um, which would be kind of a, 
an umbrella for finding you know ways that uh, we can be successful but also bringing in all the different parts of campus that are looking at veteran issues and consolidating our efforts so that we can better understand what everybody's doing so that's one thing i'd really like to do is um, a long-term goal i would love to see a like leadership veteran studies uh, adult learner studies uh, on campus which is more academic right so something that looks to actually do research on these these areas of identity so um, that we better understand you know tools for success what plans do you have for the future of elbs well, i think i mostly covered it in uh kind of these vision of things i would like to accomplish here um, but i think one of the the other things that we'd really like is uh, to you know make sure that uh, CSU is one of the best campuses in the country for both veterans and adult learners that people want to come here and want to come to, to Colorado State and our office will be leading the way in ensuring that. Is there anything you think the larger CSU administration could or should be doing to assist the work ALVS is doing? Um, I think it will be very useful if we do bring this this uh, veteran success team back um, and that is in the works with administration and you know having conversations with different people um, so I think that you know their their support uh, especially from someone like the president's office right like that will be very useful um, but right like there there is a will for all this um, it's just a matter of us all coordinating it is there anything students can do if they want to get more involved with the ALVS? Uh, come in, right? Uh, there are tons of opportunities, whether it be, you know, opportunities to work for us uh, as a peer mentor, or we're always looking for tutors um, for, for our students. We have a tutoring program that students sign up for, for tutoring. Uh, there's also leadership opportunities. Uh, ALVS has seats in ASCSU, the student government, um, because we represent you know, probably close to 4,000 students, whether it be adult learners or veterans. Uh, so we represent a very large population. So, you know, getting involved and, and, you know, if you really want to make a change on this campus, you can do it through us uh, representing our students in ASCSU or different, uh, different kind of boards like the student funding board, right, which controls the student fee. Uh, the... Uh, Lori Student Center, uh, there, there's a ton of opportunities throughout the campus here. Where can people go if they want to learn more about you? You want to learn more about me, you could always just come into our office. Uh, my door is always open unless I'm in a meeting. Um, but, you know, feel free to stop by. We are planning on having a meet and greet with me here soon. I'm not sure on the exact date. Um, and there is information about me on our website. All right, those are all the questions I have. Again, I've been speaking with Dr. Ben Schrader, the new director for Adult Learners and Veteran Services at CSU. Dr. Schrader, thanks so much for talking with us today. Great, thank you.
I'm Abby from the Collegian at Rocky Mountain Student Media, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports two new cases so far this week of COVID-19, with those cases evenly split between staff and students. CSU reports the university has seen over 3,500 cases of COVID-19 since May 2020. Screenings can be scheduled by visiting covid.colostate.edu. Larimer County and the CDC report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Larimer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if if you are not already. Wear masks indoors and in crowded outdoor settings regardless of vaccination status. Be sure your mask has a snug fit and consider wearing a KN95 mask or surgical disposable mask. Disposable masks can be adjusted by tying knots in the ear loops. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited household. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or symptoms. The county reports nearly 35,000 total cases and 285 deaths from COVID-19. 66 COVID-19 patients receive treatment in area hospitals, and ICUs are at full capacity. Larimer County's seven-day case rate sits at 217 per 100,000 residents. Over 653,000 cases of COVID-19 were reported in the state, and over 7,700 have died of COVID-19. Over 3.2 million are fully vaccinated in Colorado. Over 653,000 cases of COVID-19 were reported in the state, and over 7,700 died from COVID-19. Over 3.4 million are fully vaccinated in Colorado. Nationally, the U.S. reports over 42 million cases of COVID-19 and over 776,000 deaths. Cases increased by over 137,000 Monday with a 4% increase in the past two weeks. Deaths increased by over 2,000 Monday with a 51% increase in the past two weeks. Roughly 1 in 500 Americans died of COVID-19 so far. Information from today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, the Associated Press, and the New York Times. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now we're going to be speaking to Noelle Mason from the Collegian. Today I'm joined by Noelle Mason to discuss her article, which says the American Lung Association rated Fort Collins as the 17th worst city in terms of air quality. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So first off, um, in the report, did it address how low air quality may impact some populations more than others? Yeah, it talked about how people who are predisposed to have respiratory issues are going to be affected a lot more by the low air quality. Um, this includes people, especially with asthma, and those that seems to be the population that is going to be most affected by the low air quality. And then how many cities had their air measured in this report, and was it limited to the mainland U.S. or all U.S. states and territories? According to the report, they sampled 226 metropolitan areas in the U.S., but it didn't disclose where these areas were specifically. All right, and then what does having the 17th worst air quality of any city really mean for Fort Collins in terms of health and safety? And what does having the 17th worst air quality of any city in the country mean for Fort Collins in terms of health and safety? So Fort Collins ranks 17th specifically in terms of ozone pollution. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Pierce explained to me that ozone is created by 
um, nitrogen oxide emissions, especially from cars, mixes with volatile organic compounds, which are leaked, leaked, leaked from fracking um, and other gas and oil operations throughout the state. And then these mix in the air on hot days. Um, so this is specifically going to get worse as temperatures continue to climb and if we don't reduce emissions um, from cars and oil and gas operations. All right. And then what are some ways that people can individually help fix the local air quality? Some ways that people can individually help is to just drive less, to carpool, take the bus, um, ride your bike when possible. It's especially hard in the winter when people, um, when the weather's not nice and people aren't walking and biking as much anymore. Um, But specifically, driving less is going to help a lot with the ozone emissions. All right. And then is there anything else that you'd like to add about this story? Not for me today. All right. Thank you again. That was Noelle Mason from The Collegian, and you can find her story at collegian.com. We'll be right back. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to Tech News for Tuesday. UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, called for moratorium on the use of artificial intelligence until risks can be addressed. According to Scott Newman, this concern comes from a report released in Geneva, which warns of how AI may be used as a profiling tool, posing a risk to privacy, fair trials, freedom from unjustified arrests, and potentially the right to life. Bachelet's call insists that member states should halt both sale and use of AI until those risks are thoroughly worked out, saying that her concerns are the use of these devices for surveillance by private and government actors being against global human rights. In her statement, she said, quote, The higher the risk for human rights, the stricter the legal requirements for the use of AI should be, end quote. Bachelet's concerns were supported by the UN Human Rights Campaign's officer, Tim Englehart, who said AI regulations were in need of change and have, quote, not improved over the, over the years, but has become worse, worse, end quote. This comes shortly after Facebook's AI proved to have issues identifying Black people properly, with the program recognizing Black men as animals instead of as people. Many nations are using AI in surveillance, and there have also been issues reported with differentiating and properly identifying non-white people in these settings. Apple's App Store and Google Play removed an opposition-created phone app from Russia. The app helped voters know which candidates were most likely to defeat state-backed candidates. According to Daria Litvinova and Kelvin Chan of the Associated Press, the app was removed as polls opened for balloting in Russia for parliamentary candidates. Russian authorities reportedly are working to suppress smart voting, which was created to fight against the dominant uh, United Russian Russia Party. Russian officials reportedly told the companies to remove smart voting leading up to the election and were warned that failing to do so would be considered election interference. The platforms would have faced legal repercussions from the Russian government if they chose not to comply and remove the app. Smart voting was originally created by Alexei Navalny, an imprisoned leader of the opposition party. In a continuation of the Elizabeth Holmes fraud case, the court looked into her 1am emails, which her employees saved. According to Elizabeth Lopato at The Verge, Sarecha Ganga Kedar said that after finding out that Theranos Edison tool was insufficient in providing reliable testing, Holmes told her that Theranos would still deliver because customers were expecting the product and there was no option to push back the release. Following this and other issues with the release, Ganga Kedar resigned from Theranos, 
printing emails between herself and Holmes, saying, quote, I was scared that things would not go well, and I was also worried that I would be blamed, end quote. Ganga Kedar's decision to print these documents technically violated a non-disclosure agreement she'd been required to sign during her work with Holmes and Theranos. Last week, another employee testified that much of Theranos' work was done in secret, including not communicating with different teams at the company. I'm Kuda Babcock, and that's all for Tech News. Now, for Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Sometimes, things need to get a little bit weird, so here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world. A new survey has found that nearly 70% of millionaires are worried about leaving too much money to their kids. According to Nicholas Vega at CNBC, a survey conducted by financial advice company The Motley Fool asked 2,000 people with a net worth of over $1 million about their attitude towards inheritances. Among the top concerns in the individual surveyed had was the possibility of leaving too much money for their heirs, something that 67% of respondents mentioned. The respondents had numerous concerns about the effects of leaving too much money to their heirs, including that the wealth would be used irresponsibly or that it would, quote, cause beneficiaries to be lazy, end quote. Research analyst Jack Corporal says that, quote, What's clear is that high net worth individuals are concerned about the effects of leaving too large an inheritance. They're aware of and actively considering leaving inheritances with conditions that incentivize their heirs to pick up on values they think are important, such as hard work, doing well in school, and finding a good career track, end quote. But despite their concerns over what size inheritance they should leave, 60% of the survey respondents said they found it very important to leave an inheritance, and roughly 34% said they planned to leave over 50% of their assets to their heirs. A study has found that the state of Kansas is less happy than three of its four neighboring states. According to Sarah Motler at WBIW News, with 40% of American adults admitting to have reported symptoms of anxiety or depression during the COVID-19 pandemic, WalletHub.com says it released its report on 2021's Happiest States in America, and Kansas nears the bottom of the list. The study looked at data such as the depression rate, positive COVID-19 testing rate, income growth, and unemployment rate. According to the personal finance website study, Kansas ranked 30 for emotional and physical well-being, 18 for work environment, and 40 for community and environment, according to the state's overall score of 51.01 in ranking of 31 out of the 50 states. Kansas's neighbors are all significantly higher on the list, with Nebraska achieving emotional and physical well-being rank of 10, a work environment ranking of 7, and a community and environment ranking of 35, totaling a score of about 59.5 and an overall rank of 14. Colorado came in at 22nd, with an emotional and physical well-being rank of 17, work environment rank of 17, and a community and environment rank of 47, totaling just under 54. Lastly, Missouri ranked 29th overall with an emotional and physical well-being rank of 35, work environment rank of 19, a community environment rank of 13, totaling 51.46. The only Kansas border state that ranked lower in happiness was Oklahoma, coming in with an overall rank of 46 out of 50, with an emotional and physical well-being rank of 48, a work environment rank of 30, a community environment rank of 29, totaling around 40.5. According to the study, Colorado tied for the third highest adequate sleep rate and tied for first at the state with the highest sports participation rate. Oklahoma had the second lowest sports participate in the the nation. 
However, Colorado also ranked as the state with the fifth highest suicide rate, while Oklahoma tied for the state with the fifth fifth most work hours. Nebraska was recognized as the state with the fourth lowest long-term employment rate, while Colorado saw the fourth highest income growth. A nationwide social media trend is prompting students to ransack school bathrooms. According to Jeff Wagner at CBS News, multiple schools across the nation have reported widespread thefts as a result of a trend on the social video sharing platform TikTok, a trend referred to as devious licks. In a statement to parents Thursday, Minneapolis-based Shakopee West Middle School officials say that this trend has left bathrooms particularly damaged. Shakopee West principal Lori Link writes, quote, We have tried several measures to prevent the vandalism and theft, but have been unable to get it to stop. In fact, it is escalating, end quote. Videos posted in recent weeks from across the nation have shown students stealing school furnishings from clocks to computers and vandalizing rooms by smearing walls with soap. One TikToker, who apparently stole a broom, captioned their video, First week, but I got this absolute devious lick. The term originates from the slang to lick, which means to steal. Schools, including Shakopee West, have resorted to restricting access to school bathrooms and placing staff outside bathrooms to prevent students making off with bathroom mirrors or urinals. On Wednesday, TikTok announced that it has banned devious licks videos from the platform, saying they violate the app's community guidelines. That's all I have for weird news for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now for the weather. Today we saw warm and sunny skies with a high of 70 and a low of 41, with mild to moderate winds. Wednesday will warm up pretty drastically to a high of 82, with a low of 49 and mostly sunny skies, with about the same winds as Tuesday. Thursday, the weather will be almost identical to Wednesday, with a high of 83 and a low of 50. So far, it looks like we won't have any rain in the next two days. For Friday's weather, you'll have to check back in with us on four to f- from 4 to 5 p.m. on the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Melissa Ronaldo, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mount Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.